everybody. Welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast. This podcast is a resource to help equip the local church. In this episode, you're going to hear Pastor Nick Gibson interviewing Dave Gary. They'll introduce themselves more in the beginning of the episode, but what you need to know for now is that Dave is passionate about marketplace ministry. He's passionate about you recognizing that you spend most of your time at work, so it's critical that you see the front lines of your ministry are in the world in your workplace. So they're going to talk a little bit about Dave's background, some steps for the church moving forward, and how they can move forward with more of an emphasis on workplace ministry, and some key ideas for Christians who are engaging with others in the marketplace. Hey everybody, this is Nick Gibson on the Engage and Equip podcast. I'm here with Dave Gary. He has been a believer here in Madison for years. He is the owner of some businesses, I'll let him tell you about that, and has been involved with a number of churches. And now goes to City Church. I think you may have heard um, uh, Tom Flaherty on the podcast, who's the senior pastor there. But we've invited Dave here because he has both a lot of experience and a lot of interest in um, what we call marketplace ministry or um, a theology of work in Christian faith. Um, he has a real passion for helping people whose vocation isn't ministry inside the church to understand how their work and their life is meaningful in ministry and how um, everybody can be 100% for Jesus. And how much you are for Jesus has nothing to do with whether or not you have a vocation in the church. So, Dave, welcome. Why don't you, like, tell us something about your background and all this stuff. Thanks. I uh, grew up in Madison. Been here my whole life, 59 years old. I'm married to Jean, and Teddy and Jesse are my children. And the highlight of the last couple of years is I become a grandpa. <laughs> it's the greatest thing ever. I'm enjoying that a lot. As far as business, um, a lot of people recognize me from the Princeton Clubs. I've owned that. I founded it in 1987, 30-some years ago now. Yeah. And so that's been my main place to function here in Madison in the marketplace. In the last three years, I got involved in another company that a good friend of mine uh, had an idea, and I thought it was brilliant, so we started a company called Salt Co., and we're delivering water softening salt also, which is kind of funny that I'm in the health club business and delivering water softening salt, but this this was a great idea that he had, and I wanted to run with it. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, so uh, l- let me jump in to, the, to your passion about workplace and marketplace ministry for Christians, and then you can take us back to the relevant parts of your story that connect with it. But um, in October of 2019, you had a bunch of pastors at your house and you made us really great food. And But you had a message you wanted to share. And it was basically that um, pastors had to get much more connected with the idea that the people in their church spend most of their life working jobs out there outside of the church building. Their ministries are outside of the church building primarily. And that some of them feel like second-class citizens in the church because they're not doing vocational ministry with those hours of their day. And that that had to get, that had to change. That had to, pastors had to stop allowing people to fall into the false belief that they're, they weren't at the center of the ministry of the body of Christ because they were marketplace believers. So you we can say a little bit about that. There's, let me say, there's three things that you said that day pastors needed to do, but I want to let you talk about what you think needs to happen in the church. The first is um, mutual repentance, that there can be like a codependency between people in business and people in full-time ministry that um, the people full-time ministry want to get listened to and want to get support. And the people who have jobs outside the church um, should just do what they're told and be in ministries in the church. And um, that, that that was a problem that both people needed to repent of falling into that pattern that there should be commissioning. Like we should actually commission people and send them out 
in their ministries out in the world and that we need to correct misinformation that people still believe that there was like two different tiers and that if, and that the people who are the most dedicated to Jesus should go into ministry rather than the people who were called should go into ministry and that everybody who was a Christian could be a hundred percent for Jesus. Yeah. So those are some of the things, those are some of the things you talked about that day, but, but I know this actually comes from like kind of a long story with you. So I don't know which one of those roots you want to take. Here's what I, I want to say before we go too far is that I am born again and I love Jesus Christ. I accepted him when I was 12 years old at the foot of my parents' bed. And I've Mm -hmm. been in basically the same church for 40 years, 35 years, something like that. And uh, I love my pastor. I love the pastors in the Madison area. Mm -hmm. um, I'm committed to them. I've tried to help them, encourage them encourage them to get together, do things, race cars. You know, a lot of them will tell you right now, the reason they even know each other is because of events that we used to do, just fun things we would do. Mm -hmm. So guys could just be guys and hang out together. Nick, what I'm not is the injured guy from the church that says, I have a great idea or a better idea or a better way of doing it. And pastor, you don't understand me. So bless you. I'm going to go do my thing. Mm-hmm. That is not who I am. I've always been in submission to my local pastor, the elders and leaders of my church from day one. You can ask dozens of them in the city. The guy that's the other guy that I just referenced, the guy that says, you don't get me, and I've got something that God told me to do or this or that, that guy, watch what happens. He will blow things up. It'll just be a matter of time. might take him three, five, six years, but he will blow it up. What I try to do is walk in humility and brokenness in the kingdom of God. Let me, let me say this, and this might put this in perspective. I've had many different men that have wanted to mentor me over the years, which is always really encouraging, and I, that means a lot to me. There was a guy named John Alexander who was a very well-known believer in the Madison area and began some worldwide ministries and he just kind of took me under his arm and not because I'd asked, he came to me and uh, I think he just saw something and he wanted to spend time with me. John Alexander took me to Jamaica one time and there was a gentleman there speaking and his name was uh, Henry Blackaby and he wrote a book called Experiencing God. Now, I'm embarrassed to say I didn't know who Henry Blackaby was, and I didn't know what that book was. Uh, But I remember this. I remember 600 CEOs sitting in a conference room, and this guy up front by the name of Henry Blackaby said the following sentence. If you guys were all holy, what you'd do is you'd go home, you'd quit your jobs, and you'd all become missionaries in Africa. And he paused just like that. And I'm telling you what, you could have heard a pin drop in that room. It was the most uncomfortable minute of time I've ever experienced. It was crazy. And then he said, we broke the silence. He said, that's what you all think, isn't it? You, you think that secular and sacred you think there's a separation there in the kingdom. Mm-hmm. He said, that's what you all think, isn't it? And, and you could almost feel the room of marketplace people thinking, oh my gosh, yeah, I do sort of feel that way. I mean, like I'm second class citizen and I, I, I don't get this. And 
by the time he got done speaking to these CEOs, it was like a weight came off their shoulders. Like, I, I'm free to be able to function the way God created me. That, for me, in, in our talk today, is, is the on-ramp of, is it more holy for me or you or anyone that's listening to surrender what they do today in the marketplace and then become a missionary or feel second class because they're not on the worship team at the local church, where's the, where's the disconnect there? Mm-hmm. Would you say that most marketplace Christians believe that they are only good for three things? Either one, quit their job and become a minister. Two, give a lot of money. Or three, use their business smarts to be in charge of the building campaign. And well, that's kind of... Yeah, those are the three things, sort of the three choices. Right. You know, I, I, I put it like this. I, I say to someone, you know, I, I'm not here to tell people what to do or think I have the answers. Let's just start that way. I'll tell you what happened with me. I loved the idea of ministry. I, I really did. I spent a lot of time with the senior pastor of my church when I was 19, 20 years old, and uh, I, I remember going with Warren Heckman up to Reedsburg, Wisconsin. Uh, we would go, uh, he was doing a church plant. I was very involved in that. And I would come back to Madison and I'd go back up with him in a, a week or two later. And there was a, a season of time I spent a lot of time with him and I loved it. But the more and more I spent time with him, the more I realized I, this is, I'm, I don't think that's who I am. I don't mm-hmm. think I was made to be a pastor. Uh, now, as I get older, I realize I would have been terrible. I, I just don't like wiping people's noses and dealing with all the stuff you guys have to deal with. I, mm-hmm. I, I'd be terrible at it. But when I began to have my own interns, I remember the Holy Spirit put on my heart to start to teach them about the life of David in the Bible. That helped, and it gave me some things that I could explain to them. And uh, as, a, as a young guy trying to explain to these young guys— I said, it's like this. When I came into the local church, I, I was an athlete and I saw one sport being played in the, in the building. Mm-hmm. It was basketball. Just hang with me for two seconds, but this helps clarify things. For people who are listening, you were a gymnast. Well, yeah, don't, say, don't tell anybody about that. <laughs> I actually was a quarterback, but I couldn't throw very good either. But yeah, I was a gymnast. But um, so you're getting me distracted, Nick. Sorry. So there's one gaming played in the building. It's yeah, basketball. I, I would call it basketball, okay? And so when you show up to church, you walk in, and you're a young, energetic, entrepreneurial-type person, and you see what's going on, and, and you love to be around the basketball guys. It's like this is the only sport I see. And it's just like you. I, I really like you. I always have. From the moment I met you, I liked you. And I would want to hang with you. It would be fun to do stuff with you and do, you know. Mm-hmm. The more I hang around the more I realize if I'm looking for my destiny and my future, I don't think I was meant to be a pastor on staff at, at High Point Church. I just, mm-hmm. I just don't think, and everybody around would agree, but I just don't see that. And, but that's all I ever saw. So it's like, well, I could be a pastor. Nah, probably not. I could be on the worship team. Well, definitely not because I can't sing very good. Or I could be a greeter at the front door of the church. And those were kind of the choices that I had. And so... There was a time in my life when I realized, and this is what I taught my interns, that I wasn't dressed 
the way you are dressed. I wasn't created to do the things that you do. For example, I would be trying to run down the floor in my cleats and slide on the wood floor. You'd be down in your sneakers cutting and shooting. I could do it, but it'd be really awkward. I'd be knocking into people. And then there's a moment of realization where I found that I walked past, and in in, this is just a description of this, but picture walking past and looking at your reflection and realizing that you don't have basketball gear on at all. You have a helmet on your head, you have shoulder pads on your shoulders, and you have cleats on your feet. And you wonder, well, it's no wonder I was having a hard time trying to hang with you in the local church on the basketball court. Look at the way I'm dressed. And here's the beauty, and this is what Blackaby was getting at down in Jamaica. How about the pastor and the elder, elders unlock the back door of the gymnasium and open it up and say to guys like me, hey, come here once. I got to show you something. I see who you are. I know you love God. I know you're not rebellious. rebellious. I know you're walking in humility, but I also know God put a destiny in you, and you're the kind of person that's going to reach a city. So I want to unlock this back door of this building to you and say to you, you're blessed. You're released. You're anointed, and I'm for you. Go out and run in the turf. And I'm telling you, Nick, when the cleats hit the grass and the turf in a city and in a region— with people that were destined and made to function in that place, they can run like the wind. And the reason they have that helmet on and they have those shoulder pads on is because they break through strongholds, they open up doors, they establish things in regions that just won't get established unless they're released and sent out. Yeah, I think, I mean, some people might say that there's lots of different kinds of personalities that become pastors, but most of them, most of the people who become pastors are shepherds or professionals. And it sounds like one of the things that you're focusing on is within the people who are in the marketplace, there's a couple of subsets of those people who are high-powered leaders or are entrepreneurs, that they they start things, they see possibilities, they they function differently than somebody like running something, if that makes sense. And that for especially for people in the marketplace who are entrepreneurial by nature, okay. that those people, it sounds like, like when I think of, when I think of the marketplace, I think of like five different sectors, like the laborer, the guy who works at the gas station doesn't have a lot of skills, but his, his job matters. You know, I think of the professional, you know, the, the like college educated person who crosses the T's and dots the I's and uses knowledge. Right. I think of the investor, the person who has money and like can tell what's going to work and what's not going to work and like tries to send capital where it can make things happen. The entrepreneur who like starts stuff out of nothing has ideas and can bring those. Like I think of like slightly, and then I think of the blue collar person, the person with a skill of craftsmanship. Right. And there's like these, at least these five different groups. And it sounds like really specifically right now, you're talking about that entrepreneur or that, or that investor, like that level that those people have are the most likely to be, um, maybe envious or feel dejected because they could have run the church. They have the capacity to do it. They're just not for that. And those people have to be unleashed because those are the people that can become spiritual CEOs and entrepreneurs within a city and do things that are just incredibly magnificent. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying and, and how you're describing that. Um, I think I would be even more specific and say this, that it's, it's great and good and of God to be part of the local church. Mm 
mm-hmm. but it's also part of God's kingdom outside the four walls of the local church. Mm-hmm. And whether you're, like you mentioned, in banking or finance or an entrepreneur or a laborer, I think the freedom comes when we release and we anoint those that are called to the marketplace, regardless if they own the Culver's or what they do for a living, but free them up to function in the marketplace to extend and expand God's kingdom outside the four walls of the church. Um, So degrees of which people are gifted in those different areas is nice, and that's one thing. But that's not really, for me, the point. The point is, if I'm gifted in one region and, and somebody else is in another, I would love to see both of us released out into the marketplace because there are guys that are going to be uh, masons that do their work and their buddy that goes to church and was trained up in the local church was outside the four walls working side by side building a fireplace and led the other guy to Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. That happens all the time. What isn't happening yet, and what God is doing, I honestly believe this right now, is releasing people out into the marketplace and saying, go out there and run. I created you to do this and to run out in this area. That's what I'm trying to get across. So if you had, like, if you had an intern like these days, you have some 20-something, they don't feel like they're called to ministry, they love Jesus, and they'd say, and they said, Dave, what, like, what is my destiny? Like, I'm not going to be a pastor. I'm part of the church already. Like... How would you describe their spiritual destiny, like what right. God has for That's them? a great question, and I, I, I'll tell you exactly what I—not what I think. I'll tell you what I did. Um, for five—I think it was five years. It might have been six. I had three interns all summer long um, for, you, you know, for a long time. And, and when I said I had three interns, I mean they were with me all day long from morning until night, every day, all summer long, wherever I went. And it was a unique situation— and I paid them because I knew that they had to earn some kind of money. And so I paid them to walk with me. And I would go from a meeting with a, a man like you in, the, in a pastor's office. Now I would head off to the bank and I would go in and talk to the president of the bank. And then I would go talk to these business guys and I would go into a club and they would just keep up with me. And I said, put your tennis shoes on and run because you're going to have to keep up because I'm not waiting for you. I did that all summer long. Here's what I basically was presented in my spirit from the Holy Spirit to teach them was on the life of David. And in a nutshell, here's what I taught them. I said, um, David was the first one that God ever said had the anointing to be a prophet, a priest, and a king. That had never been done before. You either were a priest or a king, but you you couldn't be both. Mm -hmm. Here's what I was finding. I was dealing with really high-powered, quality young people. All three of them every year were great. I mean, several of them are on their own businesses or CEOs or whatever. Now, they were struggling with this question that Blackaby brought up early on was, well, if I was really holy, would I go into ministry? And the unique thing about these people were they could have done either one. Mm -hmm. And here's the part that broke my heart. They were trying to choose. They were trying to choose, should I do this or should I do that? And what God was helping me teach them and the Holy Spirit was teaching them was, you don't need to choose. You can do both. You were created to, to do both. And mm-hmm. this, this subset of people w- were gifted to be able to walk into the church and be listened to. They were able to walk into under another anointing into the marketplace and be listened to. 
and they could walk into government offices and be listened to. And it was fascinating that God brought those people around me and I could help them learn and understand that you don't have to just wear your, what I call kingly, you know, let's just say a baseball cap on, and now you got to put your hat on when you walk into the marketplace and act one way, and then you have to put a different hat on to walk into the church. What if you have been anointed by the Holy Spirit in in uh, multiple ways to function in multiple arenas, and you don't have to pick one? And you should have seen, as they understood that, how that changed their life, because had they only picked one, they would have lived half dead. I honestly believe that with all my heart. They would have lived half dead because they only went after the, you know, on the worship team and writing and creating worship music, and they never got into like Roberto Rivera and the the whole teaching system that he integrated to reach a young generation. He now he does both, and he's free to do both. It was beautiful watching what happened with these guys. It sounds like there's a like a certain group of people that you you're saying, look, these guys really have the anointing to do a lot, but it matters for everybody. So like the Mason for him to realize that like he takes Jesus out into the world and like him being, a, he's always going to be a priest because the Bible says that we're a nation of priests. Like there aren't just pastor priests. Everybody's a priest. Kingdom Some priests, people yeah. are shepherd elder pastors. Right. Yep. Yep. And so he's bringing the word of God everywhere he goes. And the main place he's got to go where people desperately need to hear is outside the church not inside the church inside the church there might be 15 people who could teach his bible study but when he goes out and he works among his his buddies and coworkers, he may be the only voice for the gospel there and for him to see that as his ministry in the body of christ and in the kingdom of god is fundamental to him really realizing his destiny that's what i hear you saying and then there are some people that have an additional capacity as kings or priests or whatever but they have it at a level where they have favor with people all over the city and they can create, they can really open up doors and make things happen in ways that really no pastor can, but they can. And if they are held back and they don't see that as part of their destiny, they won't do it because they'll never think to do it and they won't actually develop the skills to do it. Even though they have the capacity to do it, they'll still feel like they have to quote, stay in their lane or something like that. Yeah. And then what happens is you have a whole bunch of people that are walking around with, locked and loaded with no bullets. I mean, they're just not out doing their thing. They, they, they think the only strategy is to bring them in on Sunday morning. And so many of the people that they're around are not going to come in on Sunday morning. And it's kind of like we're saying, well, the only place that ministry can take place is inside the four walls. Well, yeah, it can take place there. But what if we release 90% of the people to go out into the city and out into the marketplace and out into the daycares and all the other places that people function and they feel released and free and anointed and gifted to function out here in the city? And that's what I'm seeing happen. I. I spend a lot of time in Michigan at in the Wesleyan Methodist Church. For some reason, God has given me favor in that denomination. A lot of it had to do with a relationship with someone I met here, a pastor here in Madison years ago. And their entire denomination right now across the nation is beginning to equip the people in their local Sunday morning services to function outside the four walls the rest of the week. They're mm -hmm. getting the marketplace people ready to function outside the four walls. 
This has been on my heart for decades. I live and breathe it, and it's an honor to be able to sit here and talk to you about it. Yeah, so Dave, one of the things you said in 2019 to those pastors was that that they needed to do a few things. One of the things you said was mutual repentance. You said you felt like that there was a relationship of mutual repentance that could take place that would be helpful. Yeah, what I mean by that is... um, and and I can when I say this to pastors, I just watch them because they all start laughing. I say, okay, there's guys like me in your congregation right now that drive you absolutely nuts. They tell you how to do everything. They're critical about everything. And by this point, the pastor's not even listening to me anymore because he's practically holding his stomach because he can't stand it because he's like, yeah, you're right. You're right. So there are guys like that that are so almost— they agitate you because they have a better way to do it, and we should do this, and we should do that. Okay, that guy is in the wrong, on the wrong court. He's not a basketball player, so quit trying to tell everybody how to play basketball. The best thing a pastor can do is un- unlock the back door and send that guy out onto the football field because that's where he's created to function. Mm-hmm. As soon as he gets out where he's supposed to be, all of a sudden that critical judgmental side of him dissipates and now he's out where he was created to function and what will happen next is he will ask for help he will mm-hmm. ask for assistance he will say listen i have this meeting with so and so and he'll come back to pastor and say hey can you give me some advice or what would you do right. so part of the problem is self-inflicted part yeah. of it is you're trying to um, as a pastor you're trying to get everybody to function inside the the four walls Well, that's great, except we're called to send them out. So let's get the first group of guys out because they're the ones causing the most problem. Mm -hmm. All right, so that guy should come to a pastor and repent and say, you know what, I'm sorry. It's not my place as a business person to criticize you and to say I could get a lot more done faster. That's not my place. That's arrogance and it's wrong and I apologize. You were anointed and gifted to function in this arena. I was not. I'm sorry. Now, that's critical, okay? Then the other side of it is for the pastor to say, and this takes humility and it's hard to do, I'm sorry for looking at you like a paycheck and money. Mm-hmm. I, I repent of that. You are so much more than that. You, you are so much more to me and to our body than your paycheck or what you can bring. Please forgive me for treating you like that. You are not here to build my kingdom, period. And I repent of that. Mm-hmm. And if those two sides would do those things, there would be a breaking and an unlocking in the kingdom of God like you've never seen before, and it would just break things open. That has not been done yet. It's, mm-hmm. And when you reference what I was talking to the pastors about up when we went on that retreat day, that's what I was talking about. Business person, repent for your arrogance inside the local church and recognize you may not be created to even function inside that environment. You're supposed to be outside the four walls, mm-hmm. connected within the four walls. Because there's just not time sometimes for people to do both of those things. I mean, some of our highly effective business people who are married and have children, they don't have time to volunteer 10 hours a week and inside really in the church, church and yeah. then be outside the church and do all these things and care for their family. They can do two of those things and not three. And I think what you're saying is, you know, the guys who have the grace outside the church, 
they should use it outside the church. 100% And I, t- I could not agree yep. with you more about that. Yep. That the people who have the favor and the grace, like the, just the ability to like be active in the community and be respected by people and move the ball and and be the kind of people that people respect and want to listen to. Yeah. God's sakes, man. Like, get them out there. Right. It, like, we can find volunteers to fold chairs and we can find people to greet and we can find small, even small group leaders and people to do important stuff. They're they're here too. Yeah. And, and, and the church does better... When those people are out there. It's it's almost like, you know, if you go back to the basketball football analogy, if the guy's, you know, seven foot one, you might want him down low someplace. I yeah. mean, you know, so so coaches matter. Right. Getting the right player on a football team in the right position, you know, the guy can't throw worth a darn. Why is he at quarterback position? Get him someplace else. Mm-hmm. The other guy can catch and run like the wind. He should be a wide receiver. That's where the leadership of the local church with the elders and the pastors that have that kind of vision, they can see those things and they can help encourage people to play in the position in the kingdom that they were the most gifted to function in. Mm -hmm. You know, how long does it take the leader of the worship teams to suggest to someone that just cannot sing at all, like there might be another better Mm -hmm. thing for you to do? We just think, well, that's normal. But you take a guy like me and you, you might say to me, well, you know what? You, you have a nice personality and a nice smile. So why don't you stand at the front door and greet people as you walk in the door? Mm-hmm. Okay, I will do that if that's what you ask me to do because I'm, I'm being humble and I'll, I'll serve that way. But would you like to meet the alders and the mayor? Mm-hmm. How about we go down and meet them? You know, how about we do something outside the four walls? Now, that's not meant to be arrogant. That's just meant to be like, that's where my anointing is. Mm-hmm. Here's the beauty of guys like you. Your coaches. I mean, yes, you function, but you're like a player coach. You mm-hmm. function in the arena that you're in, but you also see people's giftings. And what we've done for so long is had an inward focus on taking the giftedness of people and try to get them to function inside the four walls. And quite frankly, that's just not right. We're created to equip them, encourage them, teach and train, and then send them out. And in most cases right now, that part hasn't been happening with the exception of missions to a foreign land. Mm-hmm. That's the one arena. Where we send people out. Yeah, we're like, okay, let's lay hands on. Let's anoint you. Because you're even better than a pastor. You're, you're, yeah. oh, you're the best of the best. And we're going to send you off to Jamaica or wherever, and then you're anointed and gifted. And then the, uh-huh. the, the marketplace and the local people sit and watch that, and they cheer for that person. But inside they say, um, I want well, to do something that what, matters. What about me? Yeah. I mean, like, what, what am I supposed to do? Yeah, you know, there was a while where local church pastors, I think, understood their ministry as, um, you know, feeding and caring for Jesus' sheep. And then there was a while where there was a strong movement around Ephesians 4, where people are like, look, what it says in Ephesians is you're supposed to equip the saints for works of service. And I think what happened was, pe- was pastors read that to really mean equip the saints for works of volunteering inside the church as opposed to works of service everywhere the kingdom of God is under the creation mandate and the salvation mandate, just everything happening that we're equipping people to serve like Jesus and all of those things. And it sounds like what you're saying is we, you know, we got to make that jump. We got to make the jump from equipping the saints for works of volunteerism in the church to equipping the saints for works of stewardship in all the ways we serve God amidst our fellow men in all of creation. I, you, you said it really great. Yeah. Okay, so the second thing you said that day was commissioning. You said, you know, one of the things that we can do to really help people see this is commission them. 
Well, part of that is if you if you bring the athletes into the university and the only sport that you bring them into is the original field house or the coal center and all they see is the basketball floor and the baskets up and that's it they're going to think my on-ramp in the local church is to function only in this all right and the problem that we have right now is that's the only thing anybody sees all right Mm -hmm. what was unique with these interns i had a decade and a half ago was they didn't even know what I was talking about at that point because they'd never seen what I was talking about. They're like, well, where's the model of what you're, where's a football player? I don't even know what you're talking about. We need to have them release some of these men and women released so that a younger generation can look at them. And let's say somebody walked into the room, Nick, and and, and Holy Spirit anointed a godly situation and looked at you and looked at me. How long, and they knew what we did mm-hmm. for for our life. How long do you think it would take them to understand which one they were? You know, they, they love both of us. They like both of us, mm-hmm. that we get along great. But it's like, I, I know I was gifted to function this way. And they would go come next to one of us, and w- then we could help encourage them. That's really important. Up to this point, I don't think there's been much of that. It's like, well, here's the one example, and then... What, what else is there? And then right. we've got 90% of the people just kind of sitting there twiddling their thumbs and sort of, and right. when do you feel alive? It's when you're functioning under the anointing of God that he created you to function in. And in this picture, the guy's feet sink down into the turf and he runs and he opens up, he changes, he brings people to Christ. He do, That's when you feel alive. Just like when you lead someone to Christ inside the four walls and you minister on Sunday and you see God touch people, you, you, you go home and you feel like, oh, I'm alive. That was awesome. We need to help 90% of the body of Christ become alive and function in their fullness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it sounds like what you're saying too is like, and that happens by promoting a diff- the other sports. Like I, I, I think about my kids. I have a kid just getting ready to go to college, and she's gone through maybe four phases of what she wants to do when she grows up, and it's all stuff that's been really close to her that she's seen. Yep. So you know, she we have a lot of discussions about political um, science and political stuff in our house, and so at first she was like, well, maybe I want to work in Washington, be blah blah blah, right? And then she switched to something else that somebody in our family did. And then she switched to something else somebody in our family did. And now she switched to something else somebody in our family did. And okay. and that's fine. I mean, like you have role models and so on that happens. But I remember when I was in like third grade, the music te- the band teacher came in and wanted to introduce us, say, you know, you could take an instrument. And he played a, like a couple of bars from every instrument. And he's like, you know, here's the clarinet and here's the tuba and here's the trombone and here's the trumpet. And yeah, there were some that were sexier than others, it seemed yeah. like. And, and yeah. people gravitated. But you heard them all. Yep. And... I think what you're saying is, look, look, what we do is we just play the trumpet. We go, here's the trumpet. This is what an instrument sounds like. And I think what you're saying is like, no, like you've got to play enough different instruments in the, ch- in the church building, like in the body of Christ as it gathers. So everybody knows all the different things you can be when the body of Christ scatters. Let's, let's look at sense? your daughter. What, what's your daughter? Do- which daughter? Abigail. A- Abigail? My oldest. Yeah. Okay. Let's look at her life right now mm-hmm. and say, um, what's Abigail going to do and what's she supposed to be? Let's say that the only thing she ever saw around her was ministry inside the local church, mm-hmm. okay? And she realized that I could do this. I could become a pastor. I could become a worship leader. I could run the, the children's program. And if that's the only thing she ever saw, 
she might end up choosing one of those things. What if she's destined to become a senator for the state of Wisconsin? or a senator in the United States Senate? What if that's what she was made to do? And she had the giftings and the skill set and the leadership ability to, yeah, I could have run a daycare in a, in a church setting, but I could also run the state of Wisconsin as a senator and represent a state. Okay, how do we ever get her to say, it's okay, run? Go outside and run. Mm-hmm. I want to release you to run. Let's open the back doors of the church and say, run. And when you turn around and look behind you, you're going to see all of us cheering for you, saying, run, do it. You can do it. You go after your dream. You go after your destiny. Here's the beauty mm-hmm. of this. The destiny and the dream were put in her heart by God himself, not by mom, not by dad, not by examples of what she's seen that might fan the flame, but the coal, the fire that came off the altar, the one that touched her lips, the ones that go and deepen her heart, that that flame was created by God and given to our young children, our boys, our girls, and God puts that destiny in their heart. And we as parents and we as the church want to fan that flame and encourage them and say, run, we're for you. We believe in you. Mm -hmm. Teddy, my son, my daughter, I've done this exact same thing with them. Here's a perfect example. If we have time for this, here's a perfect example of my son, Teddy. Teddy is well-built, you know Teddy, mm-hmm. well-built, strong, good-looking young guy, has an ability to sell. His dad owns a health club operation with 50,000 members. Mm-hmm. The most logical thing in the world for Teddy Gary would be to follow in his dad's footsteps and take over someday this operation and run it and do a good job. Mm-hmm. Hands down, it makes thing. sense. It totally makes sense. Because there's native knowledge in the family business. You Everything. know all the stuff, right? Everything, yeah. yep. And then... I, so in all his buddies, like, of course he's going to do that. Why wouldn't he? I would do that if I was mm-hmm. him. Okay. So I let him start out in the health club business. And I watched him from a distance as any good coach or more importantly, any good father would do. Mm-hmm. And I could see from a distance when he wasn't watching, he's not living his destiny. He's not living his dream. I can tell his, he's not alive in this. I know. And I remember the day that I brought he called him to our house and sat there with my wife, Jean, and I, and I talked to Teddy, and I said, son, I want to talk to you about something. I realize you had a destiny in your heart that God put there, and I'm watching you and realizing it's not the Princeton Clubs. That's not who, who you are. That wasn't your dream. That was my dream. And the, the Princeton Clubs existed before you were born, and they're going to be here afterwards. And I want to give you freedom today. And son, I want to set you free. I don't want you to work at the health clubs. If you want to, you can. But I'm saying to you, there is no, uh, I don't want you to be there because you think I want you to be there. Mm-hmm. You, when I said Blackaby and the weight came off the CEOs, you should have seen the weight come off Teddy's shoulders when he realized, oh my gosh, you just set me free. I don't have to do this. This is not my destiny. I'm not going to be trapped in this environment the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. It, you could just see it. The continents on his face changed. And he, he just almost sat up straighter. And I remember pausing for a little bit and I said, what do you want to do? I mean, like if you could do anything. And he said, I, I want to invent. I want to invent stuff. I, it, it just kind of blew out of him. It's like, this is what I want to do. I'm telling you, the second he said that, it was like, you knew that you knew that you knew that's his destiny. That's what God put in his heart and in his spirit. And that's what God created him to do. And so we released him to go function in that arena. 
And oh my gosh, the stuff that he's done since that moment has been unbelievable. So would he have lived half alive in the other arena? Would it have been good? Yeah, would have been fine, but he would have been half alive. Now he's living the fullness of what he was created to do, and he's running and soaring. It's amazing. Yeah, I think I think that makes a point that you haven't made, you haven't focused on as as much before. That it's both that we need people to minister for Jesus outside of the church, but also for them to do the thing that they were created to do, which is not just the redemption mandate, like telling people about Jesus, but it's also the creation mandate, going out and taking dominion and doing stuff in the world and making things and inventing things. And that those things are important and they're, those are God given abilities too. And we're doing what God wants us to do as a steward, like as a, as his, as his manager, as his servant, both in telling people about Jesus and in doing the work of the creation mandate. They're both important. Yeah. And people need to be released in all that stuff. I, my brother went through this too. He, When he was finishing up, it, he did it was a geology major at university, and he was the president of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship at his university. Oh. And so he did, you know, he did ministry 20 hours a week, and then he did ge- geology for 50 hours a week. And when he got done, he went to Nepal as a missionary for about four months because he thought he loved Jesus 100%. So he thought that means you'd be a missionary, right? So we went there and he spent four months in Nepal and it was a really good time. I mean, he, he learned a lot. He spent time with kids. He taught kids math and it was great. And he came back and he, then he went and got a master's degree in engineering here at UW. And then he got a job in Buffalo, New York as like a groundwater hydrology specialist. And then he got, he got promoted to a think tank in California and he, he struggled with guilt for a long time because he said, I'm not living my destiny. God, I mean, God called me to be a missionary. I'm supposed to be a missionary in Nepal. And instead I'm this, I'm this engineer. He's 45 now, probably he's in the national engineering hall of fame. He is one of three top experts in the world on hydrology sedimentation. And he preaches about every third week at a college fellowship at UC Davis in California, that's almost all engineer, at least almost all the men are engineers. So he's leading these engineering, scientific-minded type, super smart people at the top three university in California, teaching them about Jesus. So he's having this missionary-based ministry to a people group he was specifically shaped for academically within a field he grew in while he's doing his marketplace ministry. And the thing is, when he was 20, he never could have written that script for himself. Right. He didn't have enough experience. There was only what was familiar to him, right? There's yep. pastors. They do the work of yep. Jesus. And then there's other people who do the missionary in Nepal. Yeah. Right. And yep. so, and I, I, th- I mean, I think it's just like in the last few years that he finally like purged all of the final guilt that he was supposed to be this missionary that he sold out when he has been serving Jesus as much as anybody I've ever seen. That's such a good story. You know? That's exactly what we're talking about. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so the third thing you said that day was correcting misinformation, that the lingering sacred secular fallacy is in the hearts of people, both ministers and people in the marketplace. Yeah. And then it leads to two really detrimental effects. So I'll give you the effects one by one so you can talk about them. The first one you said is it causes ministry demotivation. When people believe in the sacred secular thing and they're out in the, quote, secular world, they don't think they're doing sacred work, and so it demotivates them. Yeah. That's right. I can't say that any more clearly than that. <laughs> okay. That's and then exactly the, the what second happens. thing you said was, is that it causes spiritual stagnation. Because if you believe that if you believe in Jesus 100%, you'll be a minister or a missionary or a church planter. And then you don't do that. Because you kind of know you're supposed to do what you're doing, or it would be irresponsible for you to leave your, your vocational calling. Then what you're doing is you're, you think you're agreeing that you're not 100% for Jesus. 
That's that you must right. be 60 or 70% for Jesus. And then that becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yep. Once you believe you're only 70% for Jesus, then you start living 70, 60, 50% for Jesus. So it actually creates this like self-fulfilling negative prophecy in people and stagnates them in their spiritual life. Yeah. And like you mentioned with your brother, the guilt that's associated with it. There's a weightiness that comes and now condemnation sets in and the enemy just loves that. Mm-hmm. You know, think about it this way once. Take David's life, okay? Let's go back to David one more time. Your brother, your brother, what, which one? Stan. Stan okay, he had mm-hmm. enough energy and persistence and tenaciousness to fight through. Mm-hmm. But think about this. David is out in the field and there's a battle going on and all his brothers are up on the battle line. And here is his dad at home. Wants to, David wants to go see what's going on. So his dad says, here's some things. Bring it up to your brothers up in the front line. David shows up, and there's a battle. And here's Goliath on one side and the Israelites on the other side. David gets up there. His, the first thing that happens is his oldest brother looks at him and condescendingly and arrogantly says, who do you think you are? Why don't you go back to those few little sheep that you have in that field? Why are you even here? You are so arrogant. It's, oh. He right. says, you just came to watch us all get killed. Like you yeah. came to watch the battle This for is sport. his oldest brother, mm-hmm. okay? All right. Now, the next thing is David is persistent. And he says, you know what? Um, I tell you, I, I, I want to talk to Saul. He gets to Saul and he starts to co- try to convince Saul that I want to go contend and I want to stand against the giant. And Saul looks at him like, you're going to get your pipsqueak, dude. You're going to get killed. And finally, David wears him down enough where Saul says, all right, I'll tell you what. You can, you, all right. You're going to get killed, but at least wear my armor and, and take this with you. And David says, okay, great. I got, I got past leadership, and I'm, I'm ready to move forward. And then there's a point where David goes, I, I can't even move in this stuff. This is, I'm, I wasn't trained in this gear. I was trained with a sling and some stones, and I, I fought, and God delivered me from the hand of the lion and from the hand of the lion, the bear, the lion and the bear. And I was trained with a, a, a sling and stones. I, I, I want to do this, but will you let me take this off and you keep this? And just let me go out under the anointing of God and contend. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's the thing. All those guys were on his team. He would never even got in front of the enemy yet. Yeah. With friends like that. Who uh, needs enemies? Family. Right? Yeah. Fa- so how many of your brother's types and and types out there and us as believers, how many of us have heard from our oldest brother or sister or Mm -hmm. someone that even might have led us to Christ, you know, say, oh, you can't do that. Why don't you go back and and lower your standards? And then we get into the local church, and what if we have an insecure, you know, not like you, but an insecure pastor that's like, well, I don't know if I can support that. Now, well, all right, if you're going to go out in the city and do this, you do it this way. You wear this uniform. And the anointed person looks at it and goes, okay, I will do it if you want, but w- would you just let me go out here the way that God created me? Would that be okay? And then David steps out. Now, what? how long did it take him to literally change the dynamics of the entire war? One sling hit him in the forehead and cut his head off with a sword. And that's a little graphic, but that's what happened. And it, but think about what's happening. Up to that point, it was all talk. It was all spiritual warfare of talk. It was a mm-hmm. demonic influence and a, and a holy influence 
babble, 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 blah, blah. And David comes up and steps up to his appointed place and in one shot takes him out. The entire opposition army turned and ran for their lives. What happens in a city if the young men and women and thus older guys are encouraged by our older brother? And say, I'm so and by the way, if Saul was so smart, why didn't Saul prophetically call for David in the first place? Mm-hmm. What if he was so lined up with God? Why didn't he say, Hey, there's a young boy in the village back mm-hmm. over that way, and God has already told me he's the one that's gonna take the giant out. Go get him. Mm-hmm. It's because he didn't even know. Yeah. Or but, you know what this big lumbering guy would be susceptible to is a sling rather than a sword. Go find the best sling thrower in the kingdom, right? right, right. Yeah. But but that's not what happened. Right. So here's the thing. This young kid, anointed by God, seeds put in his spirit, created for such a time as this, call, was called forth, and the Holy Spirit had already trained him, began to move him forward, and he had enough tenaciousness to fight through the family, fight through the leadership, and finally st- stand there in the front lines and contend and accomplish what he was called to do. Let's make it easier for those Davids to arrive on the front line. Because if you want to see a city change, if you want to see the homes built for the pregnant unwed women, if you want to see the crusades take place, if you want to see those kinds of things happen in an arena, feeding programs that are massive in scope, the Davids have to arrive. Mm-hmm. So what if, uh, so if there's a number of people who listen to this as their small group leaders, right? Almost everybody, everybody in their small group is going to be a marketplace person. Um, what, what would you say to them if you say, look, this is what people in your small group need to hear over the next year. Here's what you want to stir up in them, right? No sacred secular fallacy. Um, what you do out there matters as much as what anybody does in here. If you do it in Jesus' name as part of his kingdom. What are some of the things that you'd, you'd say, hey, try to impart these things to just normal believers in the church? Here's what they do in when I go to Michigan on Sundays and speak. I, I speak at both services on Sunday morning, and, and a Wesleyan Methodist church just cracks me up. I, I don't even have a background in that, but I, I love it. And they call forth people in the marketplace to the front of the church just like they would if there's a missions team heading off to mm-hmm. Haiti. Mm-hmm. They call them forth, and they lay hands on them, and they anoint them and, and send them out. Well, there's a validation that takes place when that happens. There's a, well, this is important because they were laying hands on the missionaries and they're heading out. What about the missionaries in our home city? You know, and, and so that's one thing is validate them. But, but mm-hmm. even more importantly than that, talk about it. I, I don't want to hear about basketball again. Let's talk about football for a minute, you know, mm-hmm. and let's, let's take, now, here, a guy like you is not just about, you're more like an athletic director, Okay, you understand that there are basketball players. We need to function in this church. I mean, my goodness, look at this church. This is unbelievable. You need people to do that. But as an athletic director, the University of Wisconsin does not just have a basketball team. They have football Mm -hmm. and tennis and hockey and all kinds Mm -hmm. of stuff. Athletic directors see that, and they bring in the type of coach that's created a Mark Johnson for the women's hockey team, okay? They bring in the right guy at the right time for that position. That's what an athletic director helps do for the whole program. The coaches that you have in the small groups, they're specialty coaches. They're the ones that are going to help talk about football 
And some of them might get the big picture of football, and some of them might be really good at special teams, and some might be offensive, some might be deep. But the point is, let's talk about in this picture football. And what's going to happen is people are going to start to get excited. It's like, oh, my gosh, that's how, like a perfect example is this. Um, do you even know how to lead anybody to Christ? Mm-hmm. You know, let's talk some football. How about we do this on when we go out from here? We, we act a certain way. We talk a certain way. But we also have been trained in our session here inside in the huddle in the locker room uh, how how do we what do we do to lead somebody to Christ? I mean, in my life, and I don't think I'm unique. I've led the guy that laid the the stones at my cottage. I led him to Jesus Christ as he knelt on the stones that he laid. The guy that does my peers out by my boathouse. He was standing in Lake Wisconsin as he accepted Jesus Christ, and his assistant knelt and right there on the shore and accepted Jesus Christ. God is moving in the marketplace like you've never seen before. What? Why are we having this discussion? We're saying almost in a prophetic way, get ready, because this is where he's going to move next. He's getting ready to move out into the marketplace, and he's getting our coaches to teach our players to get ready to play. Dave, can you say a little bit more about you saying that God is moving in the marketplace? Because I think what a lot, of, a lot of people, what they do is they watch TV. And what they see on TV is that if you open your mouth you're just gonna you're gonna get fired like what's happening is is the marketplace is finding a way to clamp down on faith incredibly and that there's gonna be nothing but persecution there in the coming years but you're saying you're like well no i actually actually see god moving in the marketplace and him opening ministry doors can you say some more stuff to just encourage people that that's true maybe they're both true at the same time no I I i would start with that's a lie first of all do you have any amendments do you have any rights so so who told you besides the demonic influence behind the voice out there mm-hmm. that you can't say anything. Here's a true story that's funny as can be. I, I bought a health club in Milwaukee and the, there was it was I, I took over an existing club. They heard we were coming down. This was a decade or more ago. They knew we were coming down. They said, we don't want to compete with you. Would you be interested in buying us out? Well, the guy had been around Madison and built his club on a model of ours. So we're like, yeah, we'll talk about it. We ended up making a deal and buying the club. Now they have all the employees. I go down for a meeting with the guy who's the general manager of this really nice health club operation in New Berlin, Wisconsin. And we have a meeting offsite. And I wanted to meet with Mike and talk to him about whether or not I was going to keep him as the general manager of this whole operation. Mm-hmm. And so we met off-site in the conference room. I brought my brother with me. We were minutes into the conversation, and I don't hear God in my ears, okay? I don't hear anything very much in my ears Mm -hmm. anymore. But I hear God somewhere between my chest and my belly button, and it's kind of a knowing right in here. It's not an audible sound. So if I ever said, well, God said, I don't mean God said in my ears, but there's a knowing in my spirit because I am born again and I do have the spirit of God in me. So somewhere between my chest and my belly button, I know. When I sat down with this man, I asked him a couple questions. And one of the questions was, who is, who's been the greatest influence in your life? Who, who are a couple people? He started talking about one of his coaches. And without getting into too much detail, he said the word, well, one of my coaches, I think he was one of those born again guys. And I said, and I'm telling you in my spirit, I knew this was this man's day. I could feel it. 
And I said, uh, let me ask you a question. Do you know what that means? Not really. It was less than 30 minutes later, the guy is praying at the conference table, accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord. He goes home that night. Now, this is supposed to be an interview, mm-hmm. right? I'm trying to decide if I'm going to keep this guy on my staff or not. He goes home that night, and his wife's all excited to hear what happened. He goes, she said, did you get the job? And he said, I, I don't know. I, I, what do you mean you don't know? I don't know. We never talked about it. But I tell you what, I felt a peace today. I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord. Something. She goes, she's in, she's in HR. She goes, you can't talk about God at work. He goes, I don't know if you can or you can't, but we did, and I was fine with it, and I'll never be the same again. He, mm-hmm. His whole family now is born again, and God has still got him involved with us, but moved him into, into uh, the government, and he's a representative from New Berlin in the state capitol now. But he tells that story under such a beautiful anointing. It's fantastic. But there's a situation in the real world at work that I shared the gospel with someone, and it changed his life. And I think what we need to do is either, if there's anything stopping you, start to ask the question, what's behind not telling someone about Jesus Christ? Mm-hmm. Is it legislative? Is it demonic? Why, why can't mm-hmm. I share the gospel? And quite frankly, I don't care if you say I can share the gospel or not. Mm-hmm. I'm going to share the gospel. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, I think whether or not, I mean, I, I, there are people in my in our church that report at least having experienced losing jobs and losing possibilities of advancement because they were open about their faith at work. However, I mean, I think that's part of the martyrdom that Christians are called to. I mean, when Christians were killed in the first centuries, they didn't just kill pastors. I mean, they killed believers. And some of those believers were business owners and workers. And, and I think that, um, I, I think that it's part of what makes a, a marketplace Christian, how they can display how devoted they are to Jesus is, is that their career advancement maybe isn't the most important thing well, in the it, world. That's that, right. That that's under the lordship of Jesus, and maybe maybe they'll miss out on something because they were faithful. But also, I think what you're saying is, also if you walk with the Spirit as best as you can, sometimes you'll know when to talk and when not to. Say that again. That's the most important thing we've said all day, right there. Yeah, I mean, if you try to keep in step with the Spirit— The hope is that if you follow his leadership, you'll know when to talk. Yeah, and And listen to me as an employer with 500 employees. I'm not paying you to walk around the building telling people about Jesus Christ. That is not what I'm talking about at all. I'm 100% with you. I'm here to do a job and do it right. But there's moments when the Holy Spirit will prompt me or or say the right thing to someone at the right moment. Yeah. That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about being, I'm not a goof. I'm not right. loony. I'm not, a, I'm not right. one of those like if you go Because if you go meet with another business owner, that's not an HR situation. That's not a situation where you're under your employer's guide, guidance. And you can talk to that person about Jesus. If you're working with somebody you supervise and they don't, they didn't open the door, that's looked at differently in the workplace. And so here's there's a, all kinds of ways you can share the gospel. Here's a situation that I had one time. Um, I had gone to the west side of Madison after the first east side Princeton Club was open. And I wanted to do a deal on the west side. And I had gotten to the point where um, I, I met with the owners of a west side health club and began negotiations. And they, after many, many meetings, we got to the point where they said, yes, uh, let's do it. This is another example of how the Holy Spirit can lead us in the marketplace. Not, this isn't evangelistic we've been focusing on evangelism, but this is just the reality of the real world. 
I remember coming off the elevator at the bank. And I was walking into, it was a boardroom on the second level of the bank. And all the papers that I needed to sign were in that room. And the man that had helped me get started in business was in the room. And the gentleman that owned the shopping center and the fitness center, they were in there. and Some attorneys and an accountant probably, and then some helpers. And I remember coming off the elevator, and I'm so excited, Nick, because my destiny is inside that room. I've got a club on the east side of town. I'm going to have a club. on, And I'm still young. I'm in my late 20s, and I'm going to have it. I mean, I was so excited. I could hardly wait to get in that room. The elevator opened up, and I took a step and a half off the elevator, and I hear somewhere between my chest and my belly button, stop. And I mean, it was like screeching halt stop. Like if the kids were running out in the street when they were little and a truck was coming, it was that level in my spirit of stop. Uh, are you kidding me? I'm thinking in my head, like no one heard that. I didn't hear it. I just knew it was. And see, if we are born again and we have a shepherd, but we're sheep and we know his voice. And I know his voice. And I know it was the Holy Spirit that told me, stop. Now I'm I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was the enemy trying to stop me. And that sounds like I'm flighty, but I'm not. It's just like I'm either going to obey or not obey. I'm not supposed to do the deal. Now I'm supposed to walk into this room and slaughter my reputation. You talk about martyrdom in a much more trivial sense than true martyrdom, but... 20 late 20s in Madison, Wisconsin, and I go in this room and tell all these people that I prayed about this and I'm not supposed to do it. They're going to look at me like you're a nut. Mm -hmm. You're a lunatic kid. <clears throat> That's my moment of reckoning at that moment. Who's my God? Who died for me? Who bled for me? Who's blessed me my entire life? Who has my destiny right there in the palm of his hand? Who's going to guide me? Who's the greatest father? Who's the greatest coach? Who do I want to listen to? But, but, but wait, you don't understand. My destiny's in that room. It's right there. I just have to sign my, I don't even really need very much of my own money to do the deal because everybody else is helping. I could get, that's real for me. It's real for anybody. What would you do? Well, no one will know. Except then Dave Gary would have bought Dave Gary's health club and done it Dave Gary's way. And that's not what I wanted to do. So I walked into the room and I said to the people that I respect tremendously, I prayed about this and for some reason, and I don't know how to explain this, I am not supposed to do this right now. And I can't tell you why. If looks could kill, I wouldn't be sitting with you today because they were mad. I mean, mad. And my partner, the man that helped me get started, looked at me like, have you lost your mind, kid? And there's not much I could do except sort of apologize and walk back out of the room. And I said, you know, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll do what I can do because I know we've spent money to try to square things up. And I went back across town eventually to the east side again. And to be honest with you, Pastor, I was hurt and thought, how in the world could I have missed God? I thought you wanted me to have clubs on both sides of town. You even set the meetings up, and then you get me right to the edge of it, and you tell me stop. And I, 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 I was almost mad, you know, like, how could you do that? So embarrassing. Kind of licked my wounds, 
went back to the east side and a month goes by, a couple months go by. I never forgot about it, but it got a little bit easier. But I was embarrassed too. A year goes by. This is, I'm not exaggerating. This is what happened. And we had talked in the lots of money reigns to do this deal early on. You know, it was a sizable amount because it was a nice health club. A year goes by. The phone rings at my office at the east side. And back then, my partner said, are you sitting down? I said, yeah, I'm sitting down because back then you had a phone that was connected to the wall. You had to sit at your desk. And the young kids don't know what I'm talking about, but that's how it worked. He said, are you sitting down? You're not going to believe what just happened. I said, well, what? And I can tell he's so excited. He said, Mr. So-and-so and Mr. So-and-so just left my office. Yeah, they're the guys that owned that fitness center and that shopping center. They had gone over to his office. They had a meeting. He said, David, you're not going to believe what just happened. So, well, what? He said, that club that you wanted so bad on the west side? Yeah. They decided they're getting out of the health club business. They're not going to do it anymore themselves. They had been running it for a year. Oh, so we got a chance to, to we can buy it? I get all excited. He goes, oh, no, you can't buy it. David, they just handed me the keys to the front door. They said, if you'll come over and sign a lease with them, they're going to give us the health club. I said, they're, what? <laughs> they're going to give us the health club? What, what do you mean? What about all the money? They don't want any of the money. They just want to have a sign a lease. And by the way, it's the same lease that they had internally, so they're not even marking that up. Well, how are we going to buy all the equipment? They're, David, listen to me. They're giving you the keys to the front door of the health club on the west side of Madison. They're giving you all the exercise equipment. They're giving you all the membership contracts. They're giving you everything. The keys are right here. Do you want to do it? I, 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 could, <laughs> I could hardly breathe. I was so excited. And I thought, oh, my gosh, who is this God? Who is this coach? Who is this father? That a, a year ago, I had walked in a room because I loved Jesus Christ, and I looked like a complete idiot in front of a bunch of business people because I said, I prayed about this, and I don't think I'm supposed to do this right now. One year later, God, my father, hands me the keys to the front door. Do you know that everybody in the, around that room probably over time looked and said, what the heck just happened? How did that happen? How did that kid end up in that position? And I want this kind of a meeting with you to do nothing except give Jesus Christ the honor and tell the inside story of what happened. So when people drive by the Princeton clubs, they know God himself handed me the keys to the front door. Mm -hmm. Are there any... Um are there any resources you encourage people to look at that you thought were really helpful? Talks online or stuff that people were like, man, I need to hear a little bit more about this. Okay, no. He's shaking his head now. Um, so one of the places I encourage is a website called Made to Flourish, which is Wisconsin-based, and it focuses all on Christian faith in the marketplace. It's a website. There's talks. There's books. There's actually a, there's a commentary on the whole Bible um, just specifically related to being in the marketplace and working um, related to every, like not every verse of the Bible, but every verse where the commentators felt like they could make comments about it. Um, that's a really good website for that. And there's a ton of books out that have come out just in the last decade 
um, Every Good Endeavor by Tim Keller. There's And there's a bunch um, connected to Beta Flourish in their bookstore if you want to read a book-length theology um, of work. One does come to mind, a friend of mine that over the years, uh, John Bevere, he wrote a, a book recently that both of my kids are reading, and it's it's called X. It's just got a giant X on the front cover. Mm-hmm. And uh, a couple, Jesse, my, our daughter, uh, I had a couple pages that she marked and wanted me to read. It was very encouraging. And, and that book is talking about what we're talking about right now, getting the people ready to function in the marketplace with mm-hmm. a, a fullness. Good. Yeah. Great. Great. So, Dave, thanks so much for being here. Um, hopefully, we'll get to hear from you again, but I'm, I'm sure this is really encouraging to some folks. For those of you listening, we'll have some more episodes on specifically um, uh, being a Christian in the marketplace, um, life and work and faith together. And um, this is a really important area. Um, not only has, has Dave been talking about this, but there's a number of Christians in the last 20 years that have really grown and written and talked and, and tried to move in this area, but there's still a lot of work to be done so that people can feel completely released to be 100% gods in the marketplace. Blackaby said at the end of that first meeting that I referenced early on, he said, if you're really holy, instead of becoming a missionary and heading off, he said, if you're really holy, you'd stay exactly where you are. And you'd function exactly the way God created you to function in the exact same spot that God created and destined you to function in. Mm-hmm. That's when you're holy, is when you follow Jesus Christ and do what he created and what he died for you to do. Go get them. Yeah. My guest today has been Dave Gary. We'll see you guys next time. listening to this episode of the Engage and Equip podcast. If you have a podcast idea or a question you'd like answered on the podcast, send us an email at podcast at highpointchurch.org. If you'd like to find more episodes, you can go online to highpointchurch.org slash podcast. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and other apps like that. We hope this episode was helpful to you as you grow in becoming a more substantive disciple and a part of the local church. If this episode was helpful to you, rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or share this episode with a friend. Those are some of the best ways we have to reach new listeners. Until next time, thanks for listening to this episode of Engage and Equip.